0: another new podcast from the Association for Materials Protection and Performance. My name is Ben DuBose. I'm a news editor with the AMP Publications team, where I write for Materials Performance Magazine and Coatings Pro Magazine. Today, we're joined by Carb Alliance Jeremy Sicola, Water and Waste Market Manager for the Coatings Manufacturer. Jeremy, thanks for taking the time. How are you?
1: I'm good, Ben. Thanks for having me on.
0: I think a good place for us to start the discussion would just be by letting you introduce yourself to our audience. So give us a bit of background on your career in the corrosion and coatings industry and what it is that you're doing today with Line.
1: Certainly. So I have spent the last 25 years of my uh, working career, which would be my entire working career in the protective coatings industry. Um, I I started as an apprentice uh, in a, a union shop. Um, level one blaster painter, worked for about three or four years and became a journeyman industrial blaster painter and was exposed to uh, industrial projects, you know, bridges, tank farms, um, ships, things like that. So from the very beginning, uh, working in the industrial coatings industry is kind of where I've been at. Um, uh, you know, as the years progressed, doors opened, I found myself, you um, Moving to Atlanta about 20 years ago, and went to work for a manufacturer that focused on the water and wastewater industry, and and uh, made materials for that market segment. So lining concrete as well as steel um, became a focus of mine back then. Uh, the The company was, was run by a former president of NACE, um, who was actually the founding member of the CIP program. So. They made it very clear early on uh, that that uh, being involved in NACE would be important for me. So uh, I got involved with NACE very early on, uh, Legacy NACE, and and uh, it opened up a lot of doors for me. Uh, I was a contractor for years in the water and wastewater industry as well. I, I worked for a couple manufacturers uh, on the uh, engineering specification side. Um, I also worked for an engineering firm and was their senior coding consultant for 18 or 19 offices. So I had a very unique background where I've able been able to put on a lot of different hats and see the industry from a lot of uh, different points of view, which helps in my current role as the market manager for water and wastewater uh, with Carboline, where really, it's my drive to drive our direction, uh, not just a year from now, but five years, 10 years from now. So um it, it's my role to figure out where we're at and figure out where we need to go.
0: I know for a lot of people, don't want to say for everyone, but for a lot, it's not as if you grow up wanting to be in protective coatings. We all end up sort of drawn to this for one reason or another by circumstances. What was it that made you sort of have that career slash life pivot? What was it that drew you to this side early on in your, I suppose, professional tenure?
1: Um. I actually had a couple of family members that worked for a very large coding applicator in in Seattle. I grew up in the West Coast, and um, a couple of the companies that they worked for were looking for apprentices, and I had never even considered the idea of getting into the codings industry. To be honest with you, I think I I I tried to get into the crane operators union, and the first thing they asked me to do was take a math test and i said no thank you <laughs> so um so i i right so i spoke with one of my older cousins and he said hey you know we're we're working on a big project here we can uh, use some help uh, let's get you down to the union hall get you signed up as an apprentice and that's what i did and and uh i've been working in this field and in this industry since then um it's like i said it's been a it's been a journey. Uh, one door always opens and you step through and you, and you never know what it's going to lead to. Um, so, you know, from, from, from the beginning, it wasn't my intention to stay in the industry. And here I am 25 years Mm -hmm. later and, uh, I love it. And it's, it's what I'll always do.
0: So how do you think you've changed over those 25 years? Everybody talks about lessons that they learned along the way. How have you evolved over those 25 years growing into this leadership position that you hold today? Well, wow.
1: um, it's been a personal and professional journey. Um, you know, when you're an 18 year old, 17 year old, 18 year old kid, uh, you think you know a lot. And so you work around a lot of uh, folks that have been in the industry for a while and, and you, you know, if uh, you're fortunate enough like I was to get some mentors around you that help you grow. Uh, but again, both personally and professionally, it's helpful. Um, if I would not have had those people around me, I'm not sure where I would have ended up in the industry. Um, I'm not sure a lot of the opportunities that have come my way uh, would have opened up. So um, as I progressed on to each new role, I was very fortunate to have somebody there that was willing to kind of bring me along with them, uh, show me the ropes and uh, introduce me to new things and and really put that drive in in myself to say, you know, uh, I'm willing to take the next step, willing to take the next challenge, and just over 25 years of uh, compiling those experiences and learning from those mentors and those people along the way, um, it's it's positioned me well for the, the role I'm currently in now. Um, and I've had people ask me, hey, wouldn't you love to have stepped into this role 10, 15 years ago? And really, I needed those experiences, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. You need those experiences to be able to be prepared for where you're at today.
0: Mm. Holistically, when we look at the industry over that time, what's different now compared to 10, 15, even 25 years ago? How has protective coatings evolved in terms of what the marketplace looks like, the key demands, and what are some of the differences now relative to when you started?
1: I think one of the biggest differences now is, uh, like I said, when I started in the industry, I went through an apprenticeship program. Um, again, this was out west. I went through an apprenticeship program. That was a big thing then, you know, 25 years ago to to have the ability to go through that type of a program where you would go to school uh, after after work and you would learn about the trade. There's been some challenges with the 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 painting trade over the last 20 or 25 years where right. Um, we still have uh, that that option to you know get involved with a with a union shop uh, if if we happen to you know live in a place where that's that's available. Um, there are a lot of places that don't have that luxury though. So as a technical trade, it's gotten more difficult over the years. Um, I see that and I hear that from a lot of uh, business owners that I talk to. That um, being able to find the skilled tradesmen, it's a lot different. I would say other other technologies, equipment, things like that, um, you know they've become a lot more complicated as the you know uh, rapid return to service, high solids lining systems have come out. So you see a, a big change in the application equipment uh, in mm-hmm. addition to you know the equipment that we use for surface preparation.
0: You know, mm-hmm
1: the The days of uh, firing open a blast pot and going to town, um, you know those days are over in a lot of places. we've We've moved way more towards ultra high pressure water jetting and other technologies that uh, may be relegated to niche markets twenty or twenty five years ago are far more widely acceptable now. So there's a technology shift in the industry. Um, and then, as I'm sure, every other industry is facing, um a lot of the a lot of the folks that held all of this knowledge, uh, they're starting to retire, and they're starting to you know move on in their lives. And so we're facing a challenge where getting young people involved in the industry is difficult. So there's that knowledge gap that's there and and really the the concern about who we're bringing up next um, in the coatings industry. So a lot of the same challenges other industries see, really.
0: Let's talk about water, wastewater specifically. What feedback do you hear from your clients in those businesses? Are there any trends that you hear when you talk to these guys, or are there certain challenges that come up on a more consistent level? Just talk about water, wastewater specifically, and what's going on in that market.
1: Sure. Um, Water, wastewater is, you know, the market itself is driven by um, funding. So, I think most people will agree that you know, anytime you you open a paper and you see um, discussion on infrastructure, um, you know, it's it all comes down to funding. So, I think the biggest challenge that we have is we have a lot of systems that were built to sustain a certain size population, and as the country has grown and cities have expanded, those. Um, resources that we have, the the infrastructure that was built on the water and wastewater side, it's been stretched to its breaking point. Um, So we're doing a lot of band-aids right now, a lot of uh, fixing what we currently have. It's it's far more difficult to get the funding to expand the treatment facilities to, you know, add um, more storage capacity. Things like that. Um, in addition to the the need to ex, uh, fix and expand the infrastructure we currently have, regulation, um, regu- regulatory concerns are um, really driving a lot of our efforts. Um, you know, if you operate a a treatment plant, um, you know, reportable spills and things like that. EPA regulations are are difficult on the coding side. You know, we we we've got some challenges there from um, OTC OTC phase two um, environments. Uh, when you get out to Southern California, um, the VOC restrictions out there. Um, other other things that are coming light. Uh, this discussion around uh, PFAS is another concern. So um, the water and wastewater industry is really really. Uh, being constrained uh, on on what they can fix and what they can expand based off of um, you know, financial concerns, but also a lot of the regulatory uh, concerns that are out there. So um, it's it's not an easy place to be right now. Being a being an asset owner or municipality trying to mm-hmm. get your arms around. What your infrastructure looks like, what your needs are to fix it, where you're going to find the money, and then you know um, being able to do what you need to do within budget. So,
0: I know for you all as a coatings manufacturer, the success of the codings you produce ultimately comes down to how they're applied. If someone's not using the right methods and the right techniques, then ultimately you can have the right coding. And if it doesn't make sense for a given job or it isn't applied correctly, it's still not going to fulfill its end purpose in the way that you all want it to. So with that in mind, what resources do you all have available or education initiatives? But basically, what are some of the things that you all have available for your users, for your contractors? to perhaps help them overcome some of those challenges and anything else that they may handle or see in the field?
1: Yes, great question. Uh, CarbLine, you know, we pride ourselves on our technical service. Um, we, you know, we're very focused on industrial coatings, linings and fireproofing. So, um, we have the, the best tech service uh, team in the industry, in my opinion. So, when we have a contractor, for instance, let's say they, they get a job. Um, it, it, it's a pretty complicated lining system. Um, we make our tech service available for, um, of, of course, being on site to help with the application, whether it be you know surface pre- preparation beforehand or the application of the coding material, or coming on site to you know verify that the contractor. Um, has done what the requirements of the coding are, and what the requirements of the specification are. We provide those services to our to our customers, whether they be applicators, whether they be specifiers, or owners. Um, it, and, and that kind of leads into the second part of this. As I mentioned, every industry is seeing strains when it comes to who's going to come next, who's going to fill the shoes of those people retiring. Um, at Carboline, we have a pro, we have a program called Carbo Next. Where we are really engaging with the new engineers that are coming um, into the water and wastewater, oil and gas, uh, basically every market segment that you can think of. We we really want to engage with these new engineers coming out of school and give them a place where they can kind of learn about corrosion. They can learn about coatings. They can learn about surface preparation. Um, you know, we we have a. a a couple programs where they can log in and and actually work at their own pace and and go through some videos. Um, And they can also actually be paired up with the mentor within carb So as these engineers move away from having SMEs within their group that build and develop and refine their coding specifications, and we find that coding specs are, are being um, relegated more to the, to the new engineers, we think this is a really good way to help them start their their journey on learning about uh, the intricacies of, of corrosion, uh, whatever whatever market space it may be, and especially in water and wastewater. Um, that that that's a, a a pretty big market segment that we see a lot of young engineers move into um, mm-hmm. is going to work for firms that have a focus on water and wastewater. So we make ourselves available through this Carbonext program. And then again, as as we're working with the contractors in the field, making sure that our tech service team, both our internal tech service team and our field tech service team um, is engaged with our customers and our sales team uh, to make sure that when products are specified, especially products that are gonna see severe service, um, you know, the surface prep is done correctly and the products are installed properly.
0: When we talk about you guys as a manufacturer of coatings, linings, and fireproofing technologies, what are some of the properties that you're looking for on the technical side to try and address some of the challenges in 2023 that people are facing out in the field? Just talk about, I guess, recent development as a manufacturer, what some of the popular technologies are, and the types of properties that are highly sought after in the current environment.
1: Well, for us, we're always looking to provide our customers with fit-for-service products. So, you know, uh, when we talk about standard coatings and linings that we deal with, uh, it, it, you know, epoxies range from, you know, standard polyamine, polyaminoamine uh, uh, epoxies that we'll use for general use um, to Novalax and vinyl esters for severe service. Um, our aromatic urethanes, uh, again, we use these for uh, linings for tanks, pipes, secondary containments, things like that. Um, it, it really is driven by what the end use the customer has. Um, we do a pretty good job of making sure that we're not just giving a recommendation for a coating um, to sell a coating. Uh, we want to we want to really dive in when we get involved and, and give our recommendations, um, we, want, we want them to be based on knowledge that the customer provides to us about what their specific needs are for each project. Um, you know, and that, and that can involve budgetary concerns. It can it, it, it can be um, concerns about uh, life expectancy of the coding system, um, if it's a new construction or maintenance, you know, access. There are a lot of things that we have to keep in mind. So. When we when we get involved with a specifier, with an owner, or with a contractor, um, and um, provide recommendations for systems, it 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 really is a holistic process, um, you know, from beginning to end, making sure that we have all the all the uh, parameters that we we want to get answered uh, correct, and then again going back to your previous question, making sure that we support them through the application process.
0: I know one way that you're in touch with. A lot of the market demands is through education initiatives outside of CarboLine. Certainly, you had your day job, but you also have worked as an education instructor for NACE and now AMP. Uh, What courses are you an instructor on? Remind me.
1: I'm a CIP instructor for CIP1 and CIP2.
0: Okay, CIP1 and CIP2. Why has that been a big priority for you on top of your day job? Because obviously you've got enough going on just with CarverLine. Why do you go the extra mile to teach CIP and, and CIP2? What do you get out of that? And, you know, how does that help you with your current job with CarverLine?
1: Yeah, so, uh, again, being introduced to, you know, legacy NACE very early on, um, the the company I worked for at the time a gentleman named Jay Steele was was a past president of NACE and, and founded was the um, was the chair of the committee that founded the CIP program and actually held card number one. Um, his son John Steele, um, I I think he's card number sixteen or eighteen or something like that and was one of the first instructors for NACE. So uh, it was actually John Steele who came to me and said, you know, I think that you would really benefit from being an instructor for NACE. And this was close to 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So uh, going through the process and applying to be an NACE instructor um, was uh, scary and challenging and one of the most rewarding things I've ever done because when I go out and instruct these courses, I remember when I went through these courses, um, and oddly enough, most of the instructors that I remember were, People from Carboline, and that really stuck with me. Hmm. So, um, and, and a lot of those guys are still out there in the industry. Um, but what one of the things I get out of it is I remember the knowledge that was imparted on me in those courses that really just you know it it, it opened my mind up to what else was in this industry. Um, And so when I teach a CIP one or a CIP two course, you get to interact with these students that come from every corner of this industry. Um, You know, they, they can be somebody who's looking to change a career. They can be somebody who's been in the industry for 15 or 20 years and is really looking to, you know, uh, sharpen up their skills. It can be a new guy or gal that's in the industry that um, you know, they're, they're, they're setting their own path, and so when I teach these courses, I love the interaction that we have. I mean, these are week-long courses, and um, you know, people are are taking a week out of their lives to come to a class and listen to you talk about you know these important things in the industry for for an entire week. You get to know them, um, you build relationships with them, and I have relationships with a, a lot of the students uh, I've had over the years. So. Education is extremely important to me in this industry. I would not be where I am today um, or anywhere in my career if it wasn't for somebody taking the time to impart some knowledge Mm -hmm. that they learned along the way. And I feel like, you know, as we as we get into the industry, that's our job is to impart that knowledge on people that come after us, whatever little it may be, uh, just to impart some knowledge on those who come after us.
0: And I assume it helps you as well because when you go out for a week to teach CIP-1 or CIP-2, you're basically sharpening your own skills and making sure that you're on top of things, right? And so there's some benefit to you in your day-to-day life as well. Absolutely. I
1: I would be lying if I didn't say I didn't learn something in every Mm -hmm. single class that I instructed. Uh, The students that are in those classes, you know, they come from every walk of life and some of them work for um, you know, you've got oil and gas companies, you've got, um, uh, regulatory people, you've got engineers, you've got people that work for, um, OEM, um, in all different industries. I learn something every time I teach one of those classes. So i like to think that I am helping impart some, some knowledge. The reality is I learn more every single time I teach one of these courses.
0: You talked about coming across people new to the industry, new guys and gals coming into the protected coatings and corrosion control fields and various jobs, positions across the industries. What's your general advice to people that are just starting out? With the experience that you have having done and had so much success over the past 20 to 25 years, what do you tell people if you talk to some of these guys and gals, just off the record, when you're basically talking to somebody who's wide-eyed and just seeing everything for the first time, what do you tell them? That's the best way for them to get started and perhaps put themselves on a similar trajectory to where you were a couple of decades ago.
1: Um, be a sponge, absorb everything that you can. Ask lots of questions. Ask to be involved in in other projects. Some of the um, some of the things that I did when I first started was you know in addition to going to uh, you know a school. Two or three nights a week um, to to learn the the ins and outs uh, that you may not learn on a, on a project site. I always sought out the people who had been doing this a while and and you know tried to learn from them and what they were doing and always offered myself up to be you know part of a project that was outside of the normal uh, that we were doing. If it was a side job, if it was something different, if if we got a new piece of equipment, if we were going to use a new type of coding, Um or, you know, later on in my career, if it was, you know, going and getting involved in a meeting or being in a room with people who are going to discuss it, just get as involved as you possibly can um, and, and take the time outside of your nine to five to get involved in the industry. You know, things like like uh, legacy NACE and SSPC now AMP, great organization to be a part of you know, uh, you you meet people, you expand your horizons, uh, you 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 connect with people um, that could open doors for you later on. So networking is very important in this industry. Um, you know, it's a big industry, but it's such a small industry. I, I I still know most of the people that I met 20, 25 years ago in this industry. Um, like I said, guys who are instructors of mine, when I got my uh, went through CIP 20 years ago, I, you know, I still see them frequently, and we always catch up and say, hey, when we see each other. Um, so networking is extremely important outside of your daily job, you know, mm-hmm. get involved in organizations and committees and things like that that are relevant to the industry. So so be a sponge and, and you know, put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Um, risk Risk isn't always a bad thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great advice. Jeremy, for any of our listeners that might want to learn more about you, about Carbaline, what's the best way that they can do that? Just give us some contact information and details on where they can learn more from you all as a coatings manufacturer, and perhaps if they want to take advantage of some of the education initiatives and the resources that we touched on earlier that you all have available.
1: Certainly. Um, Obviously, our website, uh, Carbaline.com. If you go to Carbaline.com. Uh, we have a ton of ton of places there where, uh, um, you know, you, you can get a lot more information about some of the things that we've talked about here, but lots of others. Uh, we, we have a, a part of our, um, our website called Solution Spot. You can get tons of articles there. Um, we have a fantastic podcast that we've been putting on for years that are really relevant to specific corrosion-based topics, coatings, um, surface preparation, things like that. Um, And then also in our services tab there's a there's a a carbon next tab that you can click on that's the that's the program i was referencing earlier where if you're a young engineer in the industry or just anybody who is looking to get some more basic knowledge on coatings on corrosion on surface preparation you know if if you're thinking about maybe taking an AMP CIP course or something like that in the future. These are great stepping stones. Um, you know, anytime that you can learn something, these are great stepping stones uh, into something like that. So, um, Carbonline.com. It's our website. You can go there, find all the information you need on you know the products that we sell and the uh, resources we provide to our customers.
0: Sounds good. Folks, this is where we will wrap it for today. For Jeremy Sokola, I'm Ben DuBose of AMP. If you want more information on our side, the best place to get it is on our websites ampp.org, amp.org, that's the website for the association, and then for our publication magazines, codingspermag.com and materialsperformance.com. With that, we'll wrap up. For Jeremy, I'm Ben. Thanks, as always, to you all for listening, and please come back soon for another new AMP podcast.